Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. says, there's not many wise according to the flesh among you. There's not many mighty. There's not many noble that have been called. You think you're something. Well, you're not, is what Paul is saying. It's kind of like Paul was saying, hey, I know you guys. I've been with you for a while. I was with you for quite a while. And he says, and not very many of you are really all that intelligent. What is your source of pride? Is it your personal accomplishments? Your career status? Maybe your generosity? These are good things, but as Pastor David challenges us in today's message, we need to ask ourselves, who deserves the glory for these things? As Paul reminded the Corinthians in his wonderful letter, it is God who deserves the glory for any good thing we can accomplish. The only thing we can truly be proud of is Christ and His work in and through us. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, all of Christ. realize in, in our culture, not just in our nation, but actually uh, there's, there's several places around the world that uh, there are churches that are materially rich, materially rich. Now, I'm not talking about non-Christian and cultic churches. Uh, I'm talking about those that even claim themselves as Christian churches. They just have these multi-million dollar budgets. They have facilities and staff that rival uh, some of the colleges around the nation. We know that. They're able to put on these elaborate shows, whether it be drama presentations or, or concerts, and they draw in thousands and thousands of people on this thing, often you know, going through it or cost spending them thousands and thousands of dollars to put it on. They can put on these kinds of performances as good as anything Hollywood can put on because they hire the best to do the best, and that's just where they're at. Uh, uh, Many of their pastors, they're either on the talk show circuit or they are authors, um, you know, uh, uh, best-selling authors. They're on the conference scene. Their, Their names are known all around, and yet... For some of these churches, as affluent, as influential, as politically powerful as they might be, uh, as influential within their communities as they might be, actually and truly, some of them would fall into the same line of what Jesus told the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus told that church, he says, I know your works, but you're neither cold or hot. I wish you were either cold or hot. 
And so then because you're lukewarm, I'm gonna, and you're neither cold nor hot, I'm going to spew you or I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And he's speaking there, cold or hot, spiritually cold or hot toward the things of God. Not that they're not active, but again, their relationship with Christ. He goes on to say in, in verse 17 of Revelation 3, he says, because you say that I'm rich and I become wealthy and I have need of nothing, do not, you do not know that you're wretched and you're miserable, you're poor and you're blind and you're even naked. And so I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and, and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. And then we see how Jesus is actually standing outside that church. And he says, you know, I'm knocking on the door outside your church. He said, man, if you let me in, I'd come in and I'd have sweet fellowship with you. I'd sup with you. I'd, I'd, I'd dine with you. Now, you see, they think that they have it all together because they're prosperous in the things of this world. And there's a lot of churches that are that way. They think that they're doing the right thing because they're prospering in the world, because they have influence in the world. But according to Jesus... All that they have and all that they claim to be important actually has separated them from true fellowship with Christ. Now, that's not true with all big churches. I understand that. And, and just so you know that it's not just sour grapes because we're not a mega church and so I'm picking on the big guys. No, it, it happens in every church. We can get comfortable. We can think that, hey, man, we're doing all right. Building's all paid for, property's clear, whatever. We're making our bills, whatever. We, we just think that everything's flowing fine. We can be very active and doing a lot of churchy stuff, okay? You know what churchy stuff is, don't you? It usually involves a lot of meetings, but, uh, you know, churchy stuff. We, we're, we, can, we can do that, and yet we can actually be missing the greater thing. Any church of any size can be infected with that kind of a mindset. And you know what? Any believer, whatever his or her status is, they could suffer from the same diagnosis. You're really busy doing religious things, but you're really not connected with me. Now, you and I also know that there's a lot of good people in the world. Now, I know theologically the situation, all of sin, all comes short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But I also know that there are a lot of good people. They do good deeds in the world. There's, they're, they're, they might even be very religious. They might be even uh, very spiritual people. They might be philanthropists giving a uh, huge amount of monies to, to great concerns. Uh, they might be caregivers. They might be those that are working with the most down and out of our society. They might be individuals that have taken upon themselves a commitment in their lives to search for the cure of some incurable disease. And, and yet, even those, if they're counting on their goodness and if they're counting on their spirituality to be able to appease the requirements of a holy and a righteous God, they're going to find themselves just like Laodicea, wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They're going to be without Christ and they're going to be locked out of God's eternal kingdom. We're in the book of 1 Corinthians. I invite you to turn there with me because the church in Corinth kind of was running kind of a parallel thing here. They, they, they felt that they had it all together. 
They felt that their lives were okay. They felt their church was okay. But then Paul had received word, not only from some who had come from the church, but it had been reported, you know, fairly generally of some of the things that were going on in that church. And so Paul writes this letter of 1 Corinthians to them. They were spiritual. They, they were religious. They, they felt that they were on the right track, and they actually had, had taken quite a bit of pride in themselves, and yet there was a lot of places in that church's life that, that needed to be corrected. Now, earlier on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, earlier on up in verses 10 through 17 we looked at, we saw how the church had formed these cliques, these inner groups, and they were pretty well separating themselves from each other. Well, I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm of Paul. <laughs> that's okay. I'm of Cephas, you know, Peter. Oh, that's okay. I'm of Christ, you know. And so they pretty well separated themselves. A lot of pride, and because of the pride, a lot of division was going in the midst of that. Uh, and again, it was because of sin. And that sin was there, and it led to this pride. This whole idea of being better than someone else, believing you have it all together and you have a much clearer understanding of the gospel than someone else simply because of, again, your own mindset, your own attitude. Later on, we're going to see some of the areas that they prided themselves in. Paul has to bring correction on both their attitudes as well as the actions that they were doing. He tells them that they're all puffed up with pride and they, they, they should be mourning about the things that were happening and, and, and that they're glorying. Their pride was not good. Now here in chapter one, which is where we're at, down in verses 26 through 31 is what we're going to look at this evening. Paul works at actually kind of bringing them back down to size, okay? They had themselves all puffed up, and they really thought they were something when in reality they weren't. And so Paul is kind of bringing them back to size, bringing them back down to earth. His, his words might sound a, a bit harsh and a bit, uh, I don't know if cruel would be the word, but at least harsh and, and very, very direct. But they are meant for that very precise purpose of humbling their proud hearts and to silent these these arrogant boasters that were in the church. Now, Paul points out that the, the, the humble standing of many of the people there at the church at Corinth that they weren't looking at. You guys, really, your, your situation, he says, isn't quite as great as what you think it is. Uh, the, if it wasn't so serious, it'd, it'd sound almost comical the way Paul writes this thing out to him. He, he writes to him and says, hey, <laughs> you guys see your calling. You know who you are. He says, there's not many wise according to the flesh among you. There's not many mighty. There's not many noble that have been called. Hey, you think you're something. Well, you're not, is what Paul is saying. And I, it's kind of like Paul was saying, hey, I know you guys. <laughs> I've been with you for a while. I was with you for quite a while. And he says, and, and not very many of you are really all that intelligent. <laughs> There's not many wise. That's what he said, according to the flesh. There's not many wise, according to the flesh. That's what he says. Not, not that many of you are all that intelligent. I know a lot of you, you didn't even go to college, okay? Much less have a, a degree in, in anything. It's kind of like he's saying... Are any of you guys big in any government position? Are any of you guys like running any major corporations? I don't think so. 
You know, I spent the time with you guys. I, I, I know most of your families. And very few of you were well-bred, okay? Uh, and, and hardly any of you come from any kind of a background of nobility at all. That's really what he says right there. He says, again, you see your calling, brother. Not many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. And again, at first it seems like he's really bashing the, the, the whole church membership. Like if, if I were to get up here on a Sunday morning uh, and say, you know what, I know most of you guys. Most of you guys aren't very sharp. You know? <laughs> most of you guys really don't have much influence in anything in this world. Well, I would imagine that we'd have a lot of available seats and parking next week. Okay? <laughs> Paul writes this letter from, from a distance to them. And he tells them later, he says, hey, you know, I'm writing this thing and it it sounds pretty harsh right now, but I'm writing it to you harsh so that when I come, I can be gentle to you. He wants to make sure that they hear the truth. And sometimes, let's face it, gang, the truth isn't really pleasant to hear. Okay. Uh, Especially when it deals with me. Okay. So uh, that's just kind of the way we are. The fact is, is Paul is trying to just simply bring them back down to earth, cause them to kind of re-look at what's taken place in their lives because they had just allowed themselves to get all puffed up into something. The fact is, very often, this, this whole thing of prosperity, influence, uh, success, that'll come in and it'll literally blind individuals of the very hope that's found in the gospel because we begin thinking that we are something. Men feel at that point when everything is working in, in prosperity, there's, there's no problems, there's no sickness, there's no issues in their life. Thanks God, I've got it from here, okay? I'll call you if I got a problem. And so men kind of back away from that constant, continual devotion to Christ. Sometimes success becomes our very ruin. And yet even, the, even in the highest classes of men, there are those, and I realize that, I... I've known a couple of millionaires in my life that were true, solid believers, loved the Lord, and it was evident in every aspect of their lives. I understand that there are some, but like Paul says here, not, not many of them, not many of them. One of those, not that I knew her, but I came upon this story this week, uh, Selena Hastings. She was actually the, the, the Countess of Huntington in England. She was a member of the aristocracy of England during the 18th century, and, and ever since she was a small child, she had felt this, this draw to the things of God. But here she was in this class and in this family and in this whole culture that really didn't seek after God. But when she was a child, one of her uh, friends passed away, and as she attended her funeral, God just kind of came over Selena in, in a powerful way. She was surrounded by opulence, all of that 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 comes with wealth and status, and she didn't find any peace. She didn't find any satisfaction in those things, and she had often, uh, she she would get away, even as a little girl, she'd get away and she would hide out in a closet so that she could literally pray out or commune. She didn't really know how to have a relationship with God. No one ever showed her. No one ever read to her. No one ever taught her. No one ever mentored her or uh, gave her the example or modeled it for her. But she knew that there was something there. And God had placed that within her heart, even as a young girl. And as she got older, she would commit herself, commit herself to, to times of fasting, times of just prayer and trying to commune with God, looking for that peace with God. 
And finally, through, through the testimony, actually, of, a, uh, of an equally ranked sister-in-law who had come to faith in Christ, Selena um, came, came to know Christ through that. And the balance of her life then was spent in promoting the gospel there in the courts of England. The likes of the Wesley brothers, John and Charles, she knew them. Uh, can you imagine being in that time frame? And she knew John and Charles Wesley and was sat under their teachings on multiple occasions. George Whitfield uh, became very close with her, and she would actually have George Whitfield come and, and literally preach to her court of, of people there. That's the kind of woman that she was. They, they all played a major portion in her Christian growth. And again, I, I just recently came upon her testimony, and I was thinking, well, there's not many noble there in, in, in Corinth, but you know, there are some that do come to know Christ. It's a, her, hers is a beautiful story. Uh, it's a declaration of a life that's totally given over to her Lord in the midst of all of these earthly distractions, things that would cause other people, again, just to walk away from the Lord and just get so involved in these things. <clears throat> story goes that one day the Prince of Wales ask one of the ladies of the court, well, where is the Countess of Huntington? And uh, this one of the women of the court there who did not like her uh, says, well, I suppose she's praying with one of her beggars. And so the prince then responded back to this lady. He says, Lady Charlotte, when I am dying, I think I shall be happy to seize the skirt of Lady Huntington's mantle just to be lifted up with her to heaven. That was the influence that she had even for the Prince of Wales. When Lady Huntington was asked one time that how is she, as as a noblewoman, uh, an aristocrat there in the court of England, how did she ever become converted? Her reply was, by one letter. Person asked her, by one letter? What do you mean by one letter? She says, yes, it's in God's word. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. It says, not many noble are called. That M saved my soul. If he had said, not any noble, I must have been damned. So God blessed that little letter M before any to the salvation of my soul. Not many noble are called, but there are some that are called. Well, again, in Corinth, Paul gives the reason for his description, for his chastising this group here. Paul, Paul speaks to a, a group of statements that can almost be looked at as uh, phrases of oxymorons that, you know, uh, you know what oxymoron, jumbo shrimp, you know, military intelligence, those kinds of things, you know. <laughs> Verse 27, he says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame those who are mighty. And the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen. And things which are not to to bring to nothing the things that are. God's done all of that for one distinct purpose. That no flesh should glory in his presence. 
there's no one who's going to be able to stand before God at the end of his days to be able to stand there in his own strength, in his own ability, in his own success, in his own prosperity. There, there's no one that's going to be able to do that. There's, there's never been nor will there ever be a, a, a king or a president, uh, a warrior or a commander, a corporate executive or a multi-billionaire that'll ever outshine the glory and the majesty of God. I don't care who they are. It's only through the grace of God that that any of us are able to stand. And before the throne of God, both great men as well as the weak, the educated one as well as the simple, the rich of the world as well as the poor, all of them, you know what? We all stand on level ground. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your history is. I don't care what what the police rap sheet on you is or what your degrees are. We all stand level at the foot of the cross. You see, for you and I as believers to get puffed up in in any reason and for any case, for any mindset or any idea, for us to get puffed up about anything, has God gifted you with a gift? Praise God, it's his gift that he's gifted you with. Don't you dare get puffed up about it. Can, Can you... Has God done a great work in your life? God has done that work. Give him the glory. We can't get puffed up about those things. You see, because our, in, in, in being puffed up, suddenly I say, well, you know what, what God's able to do in my life. Sorry about what your, yours is. Uh, you know, but, but, you know, let me share with you what God has, has, has accomplished in my life, and I'm really sorry to hear about you. But suddenly we, we start putting these divisions among each other. Rather than realizing, you know what, we're all, pardon the expression, but we're all just bags of dirt, okay? We are redeemed bags of dirt, which is great. But in and of ourselves, there's nothing there. There's nothing to boast about. There's nothing to get puffed up about. There's nothing to separate ourselves from. And I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's education or uh, background or experience or ethnicity, or economics. I don't care what it is. There's nothing that should separate the body of Christ. We are one in him. It's through the grace of God that we stand. All of us come. We come by way of the cross, and none of us on our own merits. Paul, Paul wasn't slamming the people of Corinth. Or he, he really and truly wasn't even putting them down. He was simply trying to get them to see how nothing in this world's economy or class struggle meant anything in God's kingdom. The lady of Huntington, an aristocrat, of the royal court of England, you know what? She's going to stand toe-to-toe with a beggar on the street who gives his heart to Christ. Equal there. That's just the way it is. Really and truly doesn't matter what our standing in the world is. As a believer, you and I possess great spiritual wealth. And the fact is, is we possess it even now. And yet the sad thing is, is for many believers, we don't tap into that spiritual wealth. so glad you joined us today on The Open Word for Pastor David Landry's verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter teaching 
through the book of 1 Corinthians. You can find more messages from Pastor David and information about The Open Word by visiting our website, theopenword.com. If you're looking for a home church and are in the Casa Grande area, why not join us for a time of worship and Bible study? Calvary Chapel Casa Grande has services each Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You can find location information and directions by going to theopenword.com and following the links to the church homepage. Now here's Pastor David with some information on how you can help support the ministry of The Open Word. Hey, I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word, and God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. But join us again as we continue digging deeper into the book of 1 Corinthians, right here on The Open Word.